Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with the respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Monday, April 4th. Coming up, a bill in the Missouri legislature is supposed to protect sexual assault survivors in court. We'll bring you a conversation with the lawmaker who helped sponsor the bill and a prosecutor who explains why it's important. But first, some headlines. The battle over Kansas congressional districts goes to court in Wyandotte County today. Celia yopis Jepson of the Kansas News Service reports. Civil rights groups and residents whose neighborhoods got carved up by the Kansas legislature hope to overturn the state's new map. Republican lawmakers split Wyandotte County so that it falls into two separate congressional districts. And they moved Lawrence voters to the Big First, the district that includes conservative western Kansas. Republican leaders say population shifts made changes necessary, but plaintiffs see a blatant effort to carve up left-leaning areas to defeat Democrats. Congresswoman Sharice David. The head of the agency that enforces Kansas campaign finance laws has survived what he says was an attempt by Republican lawmakers to oust him. Jim McLean of the Kansas News Service reports the drama played out late last week amid reports of an ongoing investigation involving lawmakers and lobbyists. Republican lawmakers tried to get last-minute legislation passed that would have required the director of the Kansas Ethics Commission to be a lawyer, but they abandoned the effort after Democratic Representative Vic Miller and others objected, saying the move appeared to be linked to reports that the commission had issued subpoenas to lawmakers and lobbyists. The timing is wrong given what I've been hearing. The director of the commission, Mark Scoglin, declined to speculate about whether the proposal came in response to reports of an investigation into campaign finance violations, but he called it a transparent attempt to push him out. Scoglin let his law license lapse in 2017 because he says it was expensive and he didn't need it for his job. The Missouri House of Representatives and Senate are at a stalemate over passing a congressional redistricting map. Members of the House voted overwhelmingly against the Senate's version of the map last week, one day after the Senate rejected the House's request for a conference committee to hammer out a compromise. The House requested another conference committee, but the Senate has not yet voted on that request. Hey, thanks for listening to Kansas City Today. This daily news podcast is the only one of its kind in our region, and it's only possible thanks to you. As a nonprofit news station, KCUR relies on individual donations to make this podcast. So we don't rely on advertisers, we rely on you. If you haven't already, you can support our work with a donation of $5 or $10 a month at kcur.org support. And thank you. Thousands of people are survivors of sexual assault and rape in Missouri every year. And for many victims, their own lives become the subject of scrutiny and the process of seeking justice for their assailants. This year, the Missouri General Assembly is considering legislation that would try to help protect survivors of sexual abuse from further suffering during the criminal justice process. KCUR's Brian Ellison spoke to Republican Senator Holly Rader of Sykeston, who helped co-sponsor the bill, and Amy Fight, prosecuting attorney in Christian County in southwestern Missouri. Here's an excerpt of their conversation from Up to Date, edited for length and clarity. 
Senator, the law uh, has several elements in it at this point, uh, and in fact, some other bills have all been combined into this bill. Let's start with the main section of the bill that you originally proposed, Senate Bill 775. What were you trying to accomplish with regard to the testimony of sexual assault survivors? You know, um, it was brought to my attention last year that when some tweaks were made the year before to help protect our our survivors and those that were coming forward to prosecute the person that, you know, assaulted them, that many, many times they would get questioned about their past sexual experiences and, and things, you know, more. I mean, honestly, I just call it slut shaming, basically. And so you have someone who's who's being strong enough to come forward and help get this perpetrator off the streets, but yet their character starts getting ripped apart. And that really, you know, will will keep a survivor from coming forward and from taking that next step because that's a whole nother level of trauma on top of an unimaginable trauma they've already been through. And so we we made that change a few years ago saying that their their past sexual life is not supposed to be a part of this. But what we didn't do was really pinpoint that that also meant in the discovery process or in pretrial hearings. And so that's the change that my original bill was making was making sure that we were including all of the events leading up to trial as well. All the questioning of these uh, of these survivors. Amy, I know prosecutors have supported this legislation uh, and and the laws that came before this. Why why is this so important to prevent? How how significant a problem is this? Because there was maybe opportunities for people to make arguments that it, this didn't apply during the discovery process or at pretrial hearings. Um, while many people understood that it's not, there is no meaningful protection if this is not protection that's provided throughout. But some took a different approach, and so we had some examples of like uh, victims and survivors who were being deposed at six, for six hours with regards to their sexual practices with their husband. The husband was not the alleged assailant. We have people who are questioned about practices with their boyfriends at depositions, and and you have even children sometimes, meaning like they may have been a child at the time of disclosure, a 13 or a 14-year-old, they're being deposed now at 16 or 17, and they're being asked about their practices with their boyfriend, even though mm. it's you know, two years after the abuse. There is no meaningful protection if this is not a protection throughout the process. And all 49 other states have some version of a rape shield statute, and the, it, it exists at the federal level. One of the things that's unique about Missouri is Missouri is in a minority of states that allow for discovery depositions in the criminal cases. And so that just is an area that really needed to be included. And we are just very thankful that the senator is, was willing to look at this and see the importance of this issue. Uh, senator, uh, you, as, as Prosecutor Fight just noted, there are existing laws, rape shield laws that are part of Missouri's law as well as other states. How, how important is this extra step? Why is the existing legislation not enough? Well, I think that if a uh, survivor, if a victim still has the, you know, the questioning, whether it's going to be a trial or whether it's going to be in a deposition, if they still have the threat of, you know, having their character assassinated over something that has nothing to do with their attack, then just having it at trial is not 
enough to protect them. And I think as a victim myself, I can see how that can make someone not come forward, can make someone decide that they can't go through that. And so it's it's important to have this protection throughout the process. Well, th- uh, thank you for, for being willing to, to bring that up, Senator. And I, I guess I wanted to ask, I know you have shared that this is personal for you as a survivor yourself. Can you talk about how your experience uh, has influenced your, your thinking and your work on this legislation? Absolutely. So at 11, I was assaulted by my grandfather and he was the only man in my universe that I trusted. And I didn't go to the police, but I certainly told my family and because I didn't want him to do it ever again. Well, I, you know, I found out that he, he had done that at least to two members of my family. Mm. And since that time, you know, my sister was uh, sexually assaulted multiple times in her life and my mother was as well. And so I know the heartache and the aftermath of how you feel. And I can't imagine having to go through those type of questions about something that isn't even relevant when just trying to to bring someone to being prosecuted. Mm-hmm. And so even though I haven't gone through that step now with my daughter, she was uh, molested at 12 or 13. And we and we absolutely took that through the court process. And I, I can't imagine had she been a few years older and they would have been asking her about being sexually active and all of those things, because there's nothing that your sexual behavior, there, there is, there is nothing that can justify someone sexually assaulting you. So why have that even as part of the questioning that is only to harm the, the, the victim, the survivor, there's no other reason for that. Prosecutor fight. You've been prosecutor for more than a decade. You were an assistant prosecutor before that. I know there must be many other examples uh, of people for whom this legislation would have made a difference. Uh, I know last September at a a meeting of Missouri's uh, task force on the victims of sexual uh, assault, you you read a statement from a survivor about the experience of coming forward with her story. I, I wonder if you'd be willing to share that survivor's words with us. I I certainly will, and and we are doing this with her um, permission. So her victim impact statement at the time of sentencing included, I feel like this was a waste of time. There won't be justice for me or the other people the defendant has ruined. I feel drained, hurt, and most of all, hopeless. It is sad that I would rather give up than go further. They found physical evidence of the assault, but it was not enough. Because I did not say anything when he was messaging me because I trusted that an adult man wouldn't hurt me when I was a minor, or maybe because I am not a beautiful woman that guys want to hurt. Whatever the reason, I am ashamed of this system and how people don't want to fight for people like me who get hurt and have to live in silence. Wow. Prosecutor fight. When you you hear those words, um, and and obviously you've worked with many survivors of sexual assault in your work, um, how... How how well do they reflect the, the experience that people have had in the absence of legislation like this? So I think that this is reflective. So I would have, I provided this, um, again, with the survivor's consent when I testified at the Missouri Rights of Victims of Sexual Assault Task Force, and they were having the public hearings. And it had to do with the need for improving and recommendations on privacy for 
for victims and survivors. And I think that many people who go through this, I think it is so very sad and so very disappointing. So the, the rape shield statute is intended to be a protection for them. And I'm just going to use this as an example. And when it is not, when it is able to be utilized in a manner that doesn't provide meaningful protection, we are we are doing a disservice. We are not uh, honoring and protecting uh, our citizens. And when you have been a victim of a sexual offense, it is unique in how that impacts people and how they move forward. In, in general, public speaking makes many people very afraid to come and and, and do public speaking, but when you think about what you're asking people to come and tell about, so they have been violated and they have been harmed in a way that in and of itself is very difficult for them to discuss, but then on top of that, you open up the possibility that they're going to have to now answer questions about other sexual practices, who they've had sex with, those types of things when they're not because somebody has decided that this is only applicable during the trial process but not applicable during a deposition or not applicable during a preliminary hearing it it really is it really is a disservice and i think that people i i mean we're only going to improve we're only going to protect we're only going to hold people accountable when we have individuals who are brave enough and courageous enough to come forward. And so to all of those people who have done that, I commend them. It is incredible to watch the courage that it takes for people to do that, but it is something that is also incredible to be the person who's standing there by them and understanding the emotional impact, the stress, the trauma that the system itself puts on them. And we as prosecutors, we want the tools to be able to best protect those who are willing to come forward because you need participation in order to be able to hold offenders accountable. That was Republican Missouri Senator Holly Rader from Sykeston, Christian County Prosecuting Attorney Amy Fight, and KCUR's Brian Ellison. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and KCUR Studios and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. For more coverage of the Kansas and Missouri legislatures, visit KCUR.org, where you can also find a live stream of Kansas City's NPR station. If you like our show, please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.